Okay, thank you for that lovely introduction. So as you heard, my name is David Mattin. Um, I'm from a place called Trendwatching. Our obsession is consumer trends, with where consumerism, where your customers really, your users, are heading next. And I am here to share today five digital-fueled consumer trends um, for 2017. So these are trends that I hope will empower you to answer the question, what will my users want next? Okay, so trends to empower you to make sure that the next digital product you make, the next service, the next business model, your next you know, marketing campaign is deeply grounded in consumer needs and wants. But before I dive into all of that, I just want to rewind 12 months, because as you just heard, um, a year ago, I think it's pretty much a year ago today, I was on this stage um, doing pretty much the same thing, sharing five trends at Next15, super cool event, just like this one. Um, I can't believe a year has passed since then. I can't believe it's been 12 months. But I think you'll agree that in the last 12 months, we've, it, we've just packed in an awful lot. We've seen a huge amount of digital innovation uh, that really shows us this amazing digital world we're rushing towards. Some might even say the digital utopia we are building. Um, for example, in April, Microsoft made a racist chatbot. <laughs> Thanks, Microsoft. Actually, she, this is Tay. She was racist, sexist, and homophobic, so triple win. Thanks for that, Microsoft. Uh, then Google beat this guy at Go. I don't understand Go. Just putting it out there. Maybe some of you do, I don't. But I do believe everything Google tells me. Google beat this guy at Go. That was a massive thing. This has nothing to do with my presentation. I just wanted to show you the pit. No, I'm joking. It does have something to do with it, because for some reason, this man is part of what happened in the last 12 months. That's causing some ripples. Uh, and we as innovators might just pause and ask ourselves, you know, what's going on and how should we respond? Then I can't talk about the last 12 months without mentioning this. Brexit. So I want to apologize to all of you on behalf of my country. What have we done? Uh, yes. Um, now I'm just hoping that Germany will find a way to kind of keep us in, just lock us in. Um, this man now, Boris Johnson, is our foreign secretary. Literally, this guy is an action shot for you. Um, not happy. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not happy. Anyway, we'll talk about that. What is the interactive part? What is the biggest thing that's happened in the last 12 months? I want someone to shout out. The... Thank you. I didn't even have to give you any clues, because we're digital innovators. Yes, I've given you a lot for the last 12 months. Pokemon Go, of course, was huge. Uh, put your hands up if you downloaded it. Uh, OK, put your hands down if you're still playing. OK, yeah, it's the same with me. I think I gave up just in time to like, preserve my marriage. <laughs> um, OK, so look, we've seen, as we always do, of course, we always do, we've seen a huge amount uh, of evolution in the world around us over the last 12 months, a huge amount of evolution inside the consumer arena in the last 12 months. But amid all that, the fundamentals of how change happens in the consumer arena remains the same. Okay, the fundamentals of how new trends emerge in the consumer arena remains the same. So before we dive into the five trends, I just want to really quickly talk about what are trends? How do they emerge? And why are they so powerful for you? Okay, because that will really help us just set the context. So we have this model of how new trends emerge. Oh, I've skipped on. That says this. On the one hand, 
there's external change, okay? The world is changing around us very rapidly all the time. We live with this very rapid change. We know that. On the other hand, there's human nature, which fundamentally does not change that much over time, okay? Human beings are motivated by this set of basic needs and wants that at their most fundamental are pretty stable. Things like connection, excitement, value, safety, security, okay? All these things do not change over time. Now, at its simplest, our model of how new trends emerge just says new consumer trends emerge when external change unlocks some new way of serving a basic human need, okay? And crucially, we think you can see that happening when you look at the innovations that are pouring into the market now, and you ask yourself, how is this innovation serving a basic need in a new way? Now, if you rewind into ancient history, or ancient digital history at least, okay, and you think about the very early social platforms before Facebook, before MySpace even, if you'd seen those very early social platforms and you'd said to yourself, you'd looked at it through this lens of basic needs and external change, and you could have said to yourself, aha, I see this platform is leveraging an, an external change called the internet, okay, to serve the basic human need that is social connection. And if you'd, if you'd analyzed that platform in that way, you'd seen other platforms like it, and you'd kind of joined the dots between them, you could have then spotted the trend that became social media, which of course is now not a trend, for years has not been a trend, it's just daily life. But that's a really good example of how watching innovations helps you see new trends emerge. Okay, and the reason that innovations that serve a basic human need in a new way create trends, is that innovations that serve a basic human need in a new way create new customer expectations. These innovations rewire what consumers expect, okay? And once those new expectations have been created, they spread. They spread across markets, they spread across demographics, they spread across industries. I mean, just one example, think about the way Uber created or helped create this amazing expectation of one-touch service. And then look at how that spread across industries, across markets, you know, one-touch for laundry, one-touch for haircuts, one-touch for shopping, Amazon Dash button, one-touch online retail. You see how Uber helped fuel an expectation that then spread. And these new expectations spreading, that's what a trend is. Okay, that is what a trend is fundamentally. And that's a pretty scary thought because it should lead you to the question, who am I really competing against as an innovator? Okay, it's not necessarily the people either side of me geographically. It's not necessarily the people uh, who are your direct competitors. It's anyone, anyone who's creating the new customer expectations that are eventually going to spread all the way to your door, okay? And that's what trends are about in the end, okay? It's about you getting actionable foresight on what your customers will want next by looking at the innovations that are changing customer expectations. That's all trends are about. That's why we at Trend Watching are obsessed with watching innovations, okay? Everything we do is fueled by this. This is our uh, spotting network, our insight network. It's Thousands of people all around the world, just like you, sending us new products, new services, new campaigns that they spot in their own markets every day. And we're just joining the dots between those examples and trying to spot the new trends. Okay, so we're going to look at five trends today, lots of innovations. And I just want you to be relentless about asking yourself, how are these trends, how are these innovations changing what my users, what my customers will expect of me? Okay, that's what trends are all about.
I'm just looking for you to have that one light bulb moment where you see an innovation and you're like, we've got to do something with this. You know, this is changing expectations in a way that is deeply relevant for me. We've got to do something with it. Okay, enough introduction, on to the trend. So, the first trend I want to start with, I'm going to touch on, the introduction was kind of comedy, but I'm going to touch on a lot of those themes. And the first one I'll touch on is one we all know about, of course, Pokemon Go. It happened. Okay, it's probably had its peak, maybe it's on the way down now. Um, what I'm really interested in as a trend watcher, and for you, okay, is what did it mean? Yes, it happened, but what did it mean? What is the underlying lesson that we can take forward as innovators for months and years to come? Okay, and the answer to that starts with this. It starts with status. This track is all about behavior. Okay, we're asking ourselves, why are people behaving as they do? In the consumer arena, one of the most common answers and one of the most powerful answers always is status, okay? The search for status, the search to mark yourself out as in some way special. In affluent societies, we know status is one of the key drivers of all human behavior. Now, status used to look a lot like this, okay, the, the, the big fast car, the expensive house, you know, the very expensive holiday. Um, more recently, it's looked more like this, okay? We've got so rich now, everyone has so much that status has become more about experiences, okay? Super rare, really cool, exciting experiences that you can share on social media. That's become a big part of the status picture, okay? And that's old news now, we're used to that too. Recently, we've started to see something really interesting happen in the online space. So the iconic uh, technology thinker, Kevin Kelly, says we're moving from an internet where information is the basic unit of currency towards one where experiences are the basic unit of currency. We're moving to an internet of experiences, okay? an internet where virtual reality experiences, augmented reality experiences um, are, carry as much weight uh, as much force, as much significance for us as the experiences we've always had in the real world. Okay, and that has huge, if you think about the experience economy and status, that has huge implications for status. And it leads me to my first trend, which I call virtual experience economy, which is simply about saying, in 2017 and beyond, digital experiences, virtual experiences, augmented reality experiences, will become a status currency in their own right, just like real-world experiences have been for the last few years, okay? And let's, I just want to show you some examples of how that's playing out. So first, let's look at the really obvious one, the one that we all know about. Pokemon Go was huge, okay? But look how it became so much more than a game. It became really a massive shared platform for status display. So hipsters were all over this thing, doing what they do, okay? Getting together, often in Brooklyn, having a bar crawl. This is about saying, yes, I'm playing the game, okay? Yes, I'm engaged in the game, but I'm also a member of the club, okay? I'm telling you something about myself through my participation in this game. Then we saw poker dates, okay? Literally people connecting to one another, like finding their future spouse because that other person plays Pokemon, okay? So it becomes a, a platform on which to connect and tell other people about who you are. Um, then creators, we saw a huge amount of creativity, okay, uh, that kind of bounced off Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go was a platform for a lot of internet creators to make funny videos, to do their thing on YouTube. Again, that's all about status display. Look at me, look at how creative I am. And loads of it was hilarious, loads of it was great. Uh, and then winning, 
yeah, sure, it's still a game. You know, winning is still a thing. So this guy, Nick Johnson from Brooklyn, was the first to catch all however many million Pokemon, um, and he won. Okay, so yes, in the virtual experience economy, winning is still status worthy, but all these other things are status worthy too. So Pokemon Go became this massive platform for status display. How else can you guys innovate to create virtual experiences that become a status currency? I just want to look at some other examples. This is the void. Okay, so one way is to attach your virtual experience to a very, very notable physical place. Okay, the void is a Ghostbusters, or was, it was launched in July, was a virtual experience that happened in Times Square, in the Madame Tussauds in Times Square, where you put on a virtual reality headset and you were free to roam around and catch virtual ghosts kind of with your friends, like super fun but also about saying, I have had this amazing experience in this amazing place. Okay, so going to Times Square once upon a time was status-worthy, was the sort of thing you'd share with your friends, you put on Facebook. Now that's not enough. Okay, you have to have this amazing virtual experience too if you want to go up a status notch. Okay, I've done this thing that you haven't done and you probably will never do, so that's one way. Another way is to just make a world that's so rich, so huge, so infinite, um, that it becomes about discovering little corners of it and sharing that with your friends. Again, saying, like, I've been to this digital place that you will never go to, and here's a postcard of it. Like, here's a, here's a snapshot of this amazing place I've been to that you'll never see. Now, I know what you're thinking with No Man's Sky, which was released, like, a couple of months ago. Yes, it was a bit of a flop. Uh, it had a lot of bad press. But this is a great time to remember that when we're, be when we're being trend watchers, it's not about watching innovations and asking how successful was it. Okay, it's about watching innovations and asking how is it changing consumer expectations. Now, No Man's Sky might have had its problems with the reviewers, some people were disappointed, but there is no doubt that it is rewiring what people expect of video games. Okay, it's turning it's changing people's mindset away from just the idea of a video game is to win and towards more the idea of a video game can simply be to just experience as we do in the real world to just experience this world and then tell other people about it okay we people are you know, people don't even have to play it they just have to see it and hear about it to have their expectations rewired in this way and yes of course when you're the first to do that you're always going to have some problems so lots of people still wanted no man's sky to be more about winning than experiencing they were kind of disappointed but you as innovators need to take that underlying lesson okay this is rewiring what your users will ultimately expect of you. And there are sort of hundreds of thousands of people still online using it in that experiential way. They're, they're visiting new corners of New Man's Sky and they're telling their friends about it. Okay, just like once upon a time you'd go into the Andes or you'd go to the pyramids or whatever and you'd send a postcard, they're sending video postcards of this tiny corner of this world they've been to. That is an amazing change and you have to think about what that means for you. Um, okay. Another way to make your virtual experience status-worthy is quite simply to play, I think, on fear. I think we're going to see the emergence of virtual experiences that are so, so real and so frightening that only a few people are able to deal with them. And that's going to become a status currency in its own right, just like doing amazing bungee jump off a building or putting on a wingsuit and flying off you know, a cliff top, all these crazy things people do. 
is a status currency, I think we're going to see virtual experiences that are so frightening, they become status currencies too. And just in case you're thinking that virtual experiences are never going to be as overwhelming and all-encompassing and just immersive as experiences in the real world, just uh, take a look at this for a second. <laughs> Okay, I think we get the idea. So, yes, they are going to be terrifying. They're going to be freaking terrifying, okay? I don't think I could handle that. That one's a game. This is more of an experience. This is called The Walk. It's a virtual experience that simulates Philippe Petit's uh, 1974 tightrope between the World Trade Center towers, okay? And if you Google this yourself and you watch the videos of people doing the walk in virtual reality, lots of them just simply cannot even bear to take that first step onto the tightrope. Oh, they're, they're so scared, okay? The people that can, they have something to, to boast about. They have something to tell people about. That is how virtual experiences become a status currency, okay? And that is just a really powerful change. And then the last thing to say is, yes, it will be about having these virtual experiences and sharing them as a status currency, but also in the virtual experience economy, another play clearly will be to create those virtual experiences for others. And we're just starting to see the beginnings of this. So this is Google Tilt Brush. This is a virtual reality kind of three-dimensional paintbrush with incredible special effects, and you can create amazing virtual worlds for people that they can then come in and inhabit. Okay, so if you don't want to experience something and share that as a virtual status currency, maybe you're the person creating the virtual world that is the status currency. Think about creators too. Um, so I would just love you to ask yourself, our first light bulb moment, just love you to ask yourself as innovators, what's my positioning in the virtual experience economy? How can I serve this new thirst for virtual experiences that are a shareable status currency in their own right? If you're asking yourself that question, it's, it's a really powerful question to ask yourself as innovators, and you're very much inhabiting these thoughts about how behavior is changing. Okay, now quickly moving on, because I've got to be fast here. Um, so we talked about experiences as status, but the ultimate in status in 2016, 2017 is this, is self-improvement. Okay, it's about saying, I am healthier, I am more connected, I am more creative, more ethical even than the next person. Um, this is status not as what I have or even what I've done, but status as who I am. Okay, status as who I am as a person is a massively important thing. Um, at the same time, we get this rising awareness that artificial intelligence is like getting smarter than all of us. How can we not have that awareness when we see stories like um, Google's DeepMind beating someone at Go? You know, we, we're very aware, consumers are very aware now of this emerging power of artificial intelligence, and they know that, okay, not for everything, of course, but for some things, artificial intelligence is smarter, is more effective than they are. Okay, and what consumers are looking for now is for brands to put that artificial intelligence to work, to help 
help them to do really genuinely useful, meaningful things in their lives. Okay, and that leads us to our second trend. I call it motivated mindlessness. And this is simply about saying that in 2017, consumers are going to look to artificial intelligence-fueled digital tools, digital platforms to supercharge their self-improvement. And I just want to give you a really quick rundown. You can see the definition there. I've already covered it. I want to give you a really quick rundown of how that's playing out. So this is Vi. It calls itself uh, the world's first artificial intelligence personal trainer. It's like a net. It's like a device that sits around your neck. It's a wearable device. <clears throat> it's collecting physical metrics about you all the time. And it's using artificial intelligence to crunch all that data and create personalized health plans for you. Okay? And it will even deliver you information in real time. You go for a run and you put the earphones in and it will give you real-time coaching based on the data that it's getting back from you and the way it's crunching it and what it's learned about you in the past. It can tell you, you know, slow down. You usually get tired at this part. Don't run up this hill. You're going to have a heart attack. Stuff like that. Okay, so, re so really useful things that this device can tell you because it is powered by virtual uh, sorry, by artificial intelligence. This is Google Goal Goals. This is a new feature launched a couple of months ago inside Google Calendars. Okay, so what you do is you tell Google Calendars your goal, you know, learn a new language, go to the gym, stopping so many biscuits might be mine, okay? And what it does is it uses artificial intelligence, machine learning, to schedule intelligently those sessions for you. Oh, I think I've skipped on. Uh, to schedule those sessions for you. Okay, and over time, it learns more and more about your schedule. It learns more and more about your behavior. And it can start to tweak that schedule to make it more likely that you will stick to your goals. Okay, so imagine that. You know, we know going to the gym is hard. We say we're going to go to the gym, and then we don't go. This is going to use artificial intelligence to use the best time, the time that you are most likely, even though you don't know it, you are most likely to go to the gym. Okay, so really useful, powerful uh, application of artificial intelligence. This is Ava. This uses image recognition and artificial intelligence to give you nutritional advice. So you take a picture of your plate, Okay, it uses image recognition to come back to you with a load of nutritional information about what you're eating. And over time, it learns more about you. It crunches that data again. It uses artificial intelligence and will start to make recommendations on healthy things that you might like to eat. It's like, you're often showing me that you eat this stuff. You might like to eat more of this stuff, which is also very healthy. So again, a really powerful use of artificial intelligence to just supercharge us when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to our diet and the effort that we're all trying to put in to eat more healthily. Um, and last, this is Bolt. This is an Indian startup. Uh, it's still kind of in beta, beta mode at the moment, but it's creating this ecosystem of wearable devices, much like Vi, but there's a, there's, a, there's a range of devices that Bolt are creating that are going to use artificial intelligence to give you coaching on fitness, on diet, on sleep, and other aspects of behavior too. So this whole ecosystem built around using artificial intelligence to make the consumer a better person, to supercharge their self-improvement. So second light bulb moment, I know that was fast, but I would love you to ask yourself, how can I put artificial intelligence to work to supercharge the self-improvement of my users, of customers, or of, of users that I haven't even encountered yet, right? Brand new customers. If you're asking yourself that question, that again is a really powerful place to be. Okay. 
<laughs> I promised you some Donald Trump. Here he is. <laughs> because as much as, uh, yes, of course, consumers, all of us are obsessed with themselves, obsessed with their own self-improvement, there is nevertheless a growing awareness that in 2016, we're living in some pretty interesting times. The world seems to be getting more fractious. Okay, just look at America. You've seen the rise of Donald Trump. You've seen um, racial tensions, uh, sort of Black Lives Matter. You've seen this debate on immigration. Then look at Europe. You've seen the refugee crisis and the debate around that. More po it certainly feels like more polarized politics. You've seen Brexit coming out of nowhere. Okay, we live in very interesting times, and there's just rising awareness of to an extent, the polarization of a lot of debates and rising awareness, rightly, okay, of historic prejudices and ingrained attitudes that are unfair. Um, and we've seen that reflected in the online space, too. We've had a lot of online stories this year that have kind of shown us afresh the ethical limitations of the online space. So we've had this Airbnb racism scandal, you know, black users finding it harder to get a booking on Airbnb, okay, really shocking. We had, you know, the whole Google, I don't know if you saw this, the Google unprofessional hair scandal, you know, someone Googled, Googled unprofessional hair, came back with more images of black women than white women. People are like, is the Google algorithm racist? And it's kind of like, well, yeah, it is, because society is racist, okay? We, 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 We've seen a lot of that this year, okay? The good news, because that's all bad news, I guess, kind of, the good news is that amid all of that, people do just feel, most people do just feel more free than ever, okay, to liberate themselves from traditional thinking and expectations of society and just live the way they want, okay? Many people feel, I am now free to liberate myself from all that and just construct the lifestyles, the mindsets, the attitudes that I want to have, okay? Liberate myself from expectation that because I'm a man and I'm 35 and I live in Boston or I live in Beijing or whatever, that I should act a certain way. No, I'm just gonna act however I want. That's a whole trend of its own that we call post-demographic consumerism. Okay, so we have this tension between rising awareness of fractious times and prejudice to a certain extent, and at the same time, this growing mindset that I should be free to live however I want, to construct myself and my lifestyle however I want, okay? And we're seeing a couple of big responses to that that I just want to talk to you about, because this is really, again, really powerful stuff to be playing with as an innovator. So the first response is this trend, incognito individuals. And incognito individuals is simply about saying, when you have this tension between, on the one hand, greater awareness of prejudice, more polarized debates, and on the other hand, a determination that I should be free to live however I want, what we're seeing is lots of consumers embracing platforms that allow them to adopt new forms of anonymity that allow them the freedom to express themselves however they want, to be however they want, to just inhabit the online space however they want. Okay, and I want to show you some examples of how that's playing out. Start with a really obvious one. This is interviewing.io. This is a platform to help people do job interviews, and it recently launched a new feature <clears throat> that lets those job interviews be anonymous, and in particular, gender-blind. Okay, we know the tech industry in particular has a massive problem with diversity and a massive problem with gender imbalance, and almost everyone it hires is a man. This interview platform is brilliant because it allows you to do a live interview that is gender-blind, and it does that by disguising the voices of both participants. Okay, so you can't tell if the person talking to you or not is a man or a woman. So very, very simple, but still a powerful 
example of this trend that we call incognito individuals, okay, people adopting new forms of anonymity online to allow themselves the freedom to be who they want, to get a fair hearing, you know, to just dispense with all that demographic baggage for a minute. Um, Another kind of obvious example, this is Blind. This is an app from South Korea. It's all about letting colleagues in workplaces talk to one another totally anonymously and talk to their managers anonymously. Okay, it's used by 1,600 people now in South Korea. It recent, sorry, 1,600 teams, 1,600 companies. Uh, it recently came to the US. You have like, teams at Facebook and Google and Amazon using it now, and they're usually using it to talk about things like just office politics, like you'd expect, um, gender wage gaps, uh, the, the products of competitors and how they should respond to them. So again, just a really simple but powerful application of this trend. New forms of anonymity to just allow you the freedom to say the things you want to say and just forget about the baggage for a while. Um, now, I know what you're thinking with anonymous social networks. Okay, we had Whisper, we had Secret, they tanked, okay, they failed, and a massive part of why they failed is because of the problems they faced with online trolling, online bullying, okay? The problem is if you make people anonymous, a small subset of people behave terribly. There's an answer to that now, okay? Emerging technologies, artificial intelligence particularly, are going to allow us to deal with that problem. So check this out. This is Candid. This is an anonymous social network, much like Whisper, much like Secret. But Candid is going to use AI to weed out bullying, to weed out trolling, to weed out um, that kind of behavior and just kick it out the door. Okay, and that is really interesting. So imagine artificial intelligence now is going to allow us to combine the freedom of anonymity online with the power uh, of, a, of, a, of a civilized, civil discourse, okay? We've never been able to have those two things together before. But if you apply artificial intelligence to this problem, you can keep the freedom of anonymity and you can keep the civil discourse, you can keep the civilized behavior, okay? That is a really powerful new change that's fueling this trend, incognito individuals. And then the last thing, just a final thought is, okay, if you don't want to be anonymous, also part of dispensing with your own demographics, of liberating yourself from the fact that you happen to be a woman who's 40, who lives in, you know, Toronto, whatever, is to just see the online space through the eyes of a different person entirely. So this is something called anti-persona, and very simply, it just allows you to view Twitter through the eyes of any other user, any other human being who's on Twitter, basically, okay? So this is about just seeing the online space not through your own eyes, but seeing it through the eyes of someone else for a while. And that is a different angle on this trend, incognito individuals. So I would love you to ask yourself, how can you set your users free? How can you let them embrace new forms of anonymity, okay, in order to just say what they want, be the person they want to be, you know, dispense with the baggage that sometimes comes with who we happen to be demographically? Um, I know I've got, I've, I'm going to rush. I've got a bit more to get through, but not too much. Is that okay? Yeah, we are very tight on our schedule. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to race, I'm going to really race. The, the, the important thing to say about this trend is it's not about hiding who you are. It has to be about unity, it has to be about empowerment, okay? Which leads me to my next trend. Really quickly, I'm going to go through this. Visible individuals, the other side of the coin is about saying, if you don't want to be anonymous, how about proudly displaying, proudly inhabiting your own demographics, okay? And we've seen a few examples of this. This is Noir B&B and Inclusive. These are platforms that came about as a response to 
the Airbnb racism scandal. So this is a platform that says, come here, we're, we're owned and run by black people. If you're a black user of Airbnb that's faced this terrible prejudice, come here and you won't face this prejudice. Be proud of who we are. You know, we're going to help each other. This is Inclov. It's an app for disabled dating. Okay, so if you're a disabled person, again, proudly inhabit your identity. Be who you are. We're going to support you in this community. This is a similar community for people who are non-gender conforming. Okay, um, and this is talk show. This is a, an app that allows you to text message, but kind of in public. Okay, so it's about saying, I'm proud of who I am. Everyone can see my conversation. I'm not going to hide away with my text messages in private. I'm going to text message in public so everyone can see. Okay, so I would love you to ask yourself about the other side of the coin. How can you let your users proudly inhabit their identity, proudly be who they are? Um, I think I should wrap up, so I'm going to skip on a bit. We're going to skip through a lot of this, okay? It's okay. Um, we've, talked about, <laughs> we've talked about automation. <laughs> okay, I'll end on this one, okay? I mean, okay, maybe I can go back a bit, right? We, what I want to say, what I want to say is, <laughs> what I want to say is, there's a lot of scary technology out there, okay? This is the thought I really want to end on. There is a lot of scary technology out there. Autonomous cars, okay? Uh, ING Bank in April scanned every Rembrandt in the world and got its artificial intelligence to paint a new Rembrandt, okay? Uh, and it looked pretty amazing. I can't tell the difference. Um, there's a scary side to all this. This is Foxconn replacing 60,000 jobs in China with robots. There's a huge amount of fear about this new technology coming that we are all so excited about. The opportunity for you as innovators is to prove to consumers that you are going to use this amazing technology not to render human beings redundant, okay, but to renew us as human beings, to make our future more exciting. Really, really quickly, here are some examples of that happening. This is a virtual reality experience that teaches people how to speak in public. Okay, may maybe I should use it. <laughs> it's about public speaking. Okay? Public speaking is a massive fear for most people in their jobs. This is a virtual reality experience that will help you assuage that fear by giving you the virtual experience of public speaking. So imagine, okay, this is technology that's not Can this app teach me how to speak publicly and Kick you off stage. <laughs> Kick me off stage. <laughs> this is not, this is not going to make you redundant. It's going to make you better at your job. Okay? This okay. is a robot that helps you train. This is a robot that helps you in your house. David, I'm, this I'm is really, a robot. Really sorry. <laughs> this is a robot that will pay your parking ticket. But I've got to go. David, I hate <laughs> this okay. part of my job. <laughs> That's okay. This is your applause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I hate this part of my job. I'm really, I'm really sorry. But the good news, I've got some good news for you. I've got some good news for you. You can meet David in person. That's right. This afternoon, he's going to have That's a workshop right. and a session this afternoon at Gaga Club, which is next door, 3 p.m. Yes. And you can squeeze every drop of knowledge out of every this ounce brain. of trend knowledge. Yeah. I'll be there with my colleague Vicky, who's over there, 3 p.m. So Where we, are you, Vicky? She's right there. Look. There, there's Vicky. So we can talk more trends and we can learn how to turn a trend into a new idea for yeah. you. Super I'm fun. Deeply sorry. That's, no, no, I understand. I enjoyed I understand. your talk. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.